through the book of Romans. Does anyone need a handout tonight? If you need a handout, our ushers will get that to you. Everyone's got one. I think we're good. And so we'll dive right into the message tonight. Romans chapter 8 has got to be one of the greatest chapters and some of the greatest verses in all the world in the book of Romans. And I've enjoyed our study in the book of Romans up to this point, but it just keeps getting better and better through these verses as we go through them. And so tonight we're here in Romans chapter number 8. And let me just encourage you to read the Word of God, study the Word of God. It is a good thing for the people of God to be in the Word of God. And um, this morning, you know, I had a lot of people tell me after both services, they never knew that dogs there was talking about a little puppy. Say, well, how did you figure that out? I looked it up. That's what I did. Now, when I was in Bible college, we're talking only, how long, that's only, how many years ago was that? That's 16, 15, 16 years. That sounds like a long time ago now. Wow. When I was in Bible college, we didn't, computers were there, but they were still just getting really going, you know? It's one of those things, cell phones were just barely getting going and all that good stuff. But literally, we had lexicons and books upon books, and if you were going to study anything, you had to have a book and look up every word. One of the best Bible programs I have, and it's free, eSword is the name of it. And there are expensive ones that you can spend a lot of money on. eSword I have, and that's probably the one I go to the most. Now, if you have, a, if you have an Apple phone or an Android phone, for eSword, it's not free. On a computer or a desktop or a laptop, it's free. It was $2.99 for the app for my um, phone. So I have it on my iPad. I have it on my... Um, just as I'm in my phone as well. So whenever I'm looking at a verse and I have a question, like this is the passage this morning, you can't see it this far away, I know that. But it's got all the verses and it's got little numbers next to it. That's what a Strong's Concordance. Now some of you, did anybody, does anybody know what a Strong's Concordance is? A few of us in the room, a Strong's Concordance is, has always been in Bible college and to this day it's one of my best friends when it comes to studying the Word of God. What we're going to do in a, f and in a few weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going to do probably go through doctrine, Bible doctrines. And I'm going to take a couple weeks, too, when we talk about Bible doctrines, I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. And want that, I think believe that's very important for all of us. The Strong's Concordance really helps you out because it helps you with the meaning of words. But if you have this app, the eSword app, or have it on your computer, you're reading your passage of Scripture for the day, and what we, sometimes this is what happens to us. We see words and think, I know the meaning of that word. You might know the meaning of the word in 2021, but the meaning of the word in 1611 or 1728, whatever the year was, was a little different. And the Greek might even be a little bit different than that. And I'm not a Greek scholar, and neither any of you. Last time I checked, some people think they are. Sometimes I'll quote a word in Greek, and they come up to me later and like, Pastor, this is how you say it. I'm like, okay, that's good. In English, you listen to the Bible being read, and 10 different people say a word a different way. But you can just click on here, and you can see the meaning of every word. And so it's a great tool. So just a little thought there for you. Tonight, we're in Romans chapter number 8. Continuing on, I want you to look with me down at verse number 18 tonight. The Bible says, For I reckon, I, love, I like that word reckon, 
I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, look at this verse here, for we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we look at these verses here before us tonight. We see there are three things that groan in this passage. Groaning means, <sighs> that's a groan. Creation groans. Christians groan. And the Spirit groans. So we look in our text tonight and we see. As we started chapter number 8, we've gone through several things about the spirit life and we're going to get more into it. But as we dive in tonight, I want to talk about tonight the diligence of the spirit life. The word diligence means to be characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic activity. It's not giving up. It's pushing forward in the midst of a messed up world. That's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight. Father, we need your help tonight. I thank you for this truth and your word. I pray that you'd help us, teach us tonight, help us from this passage. We need your help. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I think we can see right away in verse number 18, it says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think that kind of reminds us today that we're living in a world that's under a curse. That's why the world is the way it is. It's why the wickedness around us. That's, we look around us and we see this here. And it also gives us the hope of realizing, hey, Christian, this world, it's not our home. We're just passing through. And the problem is, far too many Christians are letting this world feel like home. And when this world begins to feel like home, we, we're, we're, not, we're not hanging where we should, hanging out with who we should be hanging out with. 
Because we have, we have nothing in common with this world. We, we love this world like the Lord does to get them the gospel, but that's about it. The way this world system is set up, we don't love it. We don't want anything to do with it. And you've got to understand that we're supposed to not love the world because you can't love God and the world at the same time. It doesn't happen. Now, loving the people and getting them the gospel, that's not what Jesus was talking about because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But the world that we live in today, this passage that we have before our eyes tonight, talks about the struggle that's going on. There's a struggle with creation tonight. There's a struggle with Christians tonight. And the spirit struggles with us Christians tonight. Let's dive in and see what we can get from the passage tonight. Number one, we see the Bible says that creation groans. As I mentioned a minute ago, the word groaneth in verse 22, it means to sigh. It has the idea of one groaning under a burden. And this is an image used to describe creation. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. As we think about this creation groans, we think of letter A, creation's experience. In verse number 20 it says, For the creature was, not sub, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Creation came under a curse, not of its own doing, but by Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Think about Genesis chapter number 3, and we know what happened that day in the garden, and everything changed in this world. Do you realize up till that moment, up till Adam and Eve sinned, the world was perfect. There were no thorns on rose bushes. There were no weeds in your garden. The ants didn't bite if there were ants. The spiders were friendly. The serpents were friendly, right? Satan was a nice serpent. Just, hey, you know, nowadays a serpent comes to us in the yard. You're not going to stand there and talk to it. You're going to take that shovel and chop its head off. If, and I know there are some people in this world that like snakes, not me. Uh, Indiana Jones and I have a lot in common, and that's one of the things. Snakes, no thank you. I'll just, no need to be around a snake. I mean, a few times I've been around a snake, and that snake ended up, and I didn't, I, I killed a nice snake one time, and it was a nice snake. I didn't really, I thought, I thought it was a bad snake. It snuck up on me. You sneak up on me? And I saw it. I was in the yard working in my parents' yard, this and it was, it was a nice snake. It was. It should have lived. It should have lived. I'm sorry. But literally, it was right there, and it just snuck up behind, and I just chopped his head off. And it was, an, and it was a snake that should have stayed alive. It was a good one. Then there was another, then you second-guess yourself, and there was another time there was a snake, and I'm glad I killed this one because it was a rattlesnake. Now you say, did you give it, I know they're endangered, right? I'm fine with them being endangered. Let them disappear. It doesn't bother me that a rattle, I know, I know God made them for a reason, and they're there for a reason, but if you kill a rattlesnake, just throw it in the trash can, and everything will be okay, all right? This world's better off with less snakes and spiders. I'm, I'm a firm believer in both of those things, and I think a lot of you would agree. And if you don't, there's just something weird about the devil was a serpent. Be like him too. Never mind, we'll leave that all alone. 
But because Adam chose to walk in rebellion to a clear command of God, all of creation was thrown under a curse. We see creation's experience, but letter B, we also see creation's expression. Verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. This verse depicts creation as sighing and writhing in pain like a woman giving birth to a child. You can see it all before our eyes. Earthquakes, thorns, deadly animals, poisonous snakes, poison plants, fires. The list could go on. And when we think about this, the world all around us, it was a place and God made everything good. And sin ruins everything it touches, including creation. And this world is, this creation is crying out, groaning from the curse of sin. We see letter, and you think about this. Psalm 19 right there, it's amazing to me that as awful as the curse of sin has been and how messed up this creation is now, you see how beautiful things still are? Because the heavens still declare the glory of God. You see a beautiful sunset? That's in a world that's marred with sin. See the majesty of the mountains and the blue skies, the clouds, the rainbows, the ocean, all of these things. Imagine what it was like before sin. We look and we're like, wow, that's amazing. God, you're amazing what you've done. You go to the Grand Canyon, it doesn't even look real. It looks like a picture when you're looking at it when you're there. You go to different places, you see all these amazing things. And that's in a world that's flawed and decayed. That's amazing to me when you stop to think about that. Even in the midst of it, we still see God's glory and who God is through it all. That's grace. We see creation's experience. We see creation's expression. We see letter C. We see creation's expectation. Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The word expectation there in verse number 19 brings to mind an image of a person standing on their tiptoes trying to see something and waiting for it. These verses tell us that creation itself expects to be delivered from the curse that's been put on it. And creation yearns for that time when to be delivered. That's what the groaning's all about. Because sin not only messed up mankind, it messed up creation as well. And thank God for the beauty of everything today, but can, if you think how beautiful everything is today, under the curse that it's under, I can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like. What the new heaven and the new earth the Bible talks about. This old earth is cast away. Global warming really takes care of things. One day, 
the shackles will fall off and all creation will rejoice. And it will. But we see, number one tonight, that creation groans because of sin. Number two, we see the Christian groans. Verse 23, the Bible tells us that not only they, talking about creation, but look what it says, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, of, the bo- of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We see number two, a Christian's groaning. We think of letter A, we see a Christian's agony in verse 23. Along with creation, the Christian groans, the child of God groans this evening. Primarily what Paul is talking about right here, speaking about our desire to be free from these sinful bodies. Let's be honest tonight. We all sin. We all do. But as a Christian, we shouldn't like sinning. We shouldn't. And there are times where we get deceived in our sin and where we sin and we like our sin for a while. But God works in us. He chastens us at times. And we don't, we don't like to sin. You shouldn't. Do you ever get tired of sinning? Do you ever get tired of messing up? Do you ever get tired of hurting people? Do you ever get tired of lying to people? Do you ever get tired of those things? I do. That's part of this flesh. And we see right here that Paul, he mentions the first fruits of the Spirit. And he's talking about how the Holy Spirit, at the moment of salvation, he indwells the believer. We know that. We say that. The Spirit of God moves into our lives. When He comes in, the moment the Spirit of God comes in to live inside of us, He works in a way, what sin does to us, sin desensitizes us. But what happens is when we get saved and the Spirit of God moves into us, instead of being desensitized to sin, He really starts to sensitize us to it. And we realize things that we never would have realized before. As a lost person, you don't realize what your sin is doing and what it is. Because you're lost. Your spirit is dead. As a child of God and as a believer, your spirit is made alive. And the spirit of God, hey Brian, those things you used to do... Those weren't good, and you shouldn't be doing those things. That's why Nick and I, we were talking a little bit before the service, talking about some areas before salvation that he struggled with. He's like, he tried different things to get past those things. He got saved, and those things just went away. John, I think you and I talked about before some things in your life, and you tried to stop different things, and then you got saved, and that appetite went away. That's because the Spirit of God changes us inside. And we realize 
as a Christian, I shouldn't be doing these things. That's why I wonder for some when the end, never judge someone's heart. That's between them and God. But when someone claims that they get saved and the Spirit of God comes in, but there's no evidence of the Spirit of God anywhere in anything, it just makes me wonder. It makes me think. Don't judge somebody. That's not your job. No, God never called you and I to be a fruit inspector. Because one thing I have learned, you cannot know someone's heart. Only God does. I had a Christian one time come to our church, and they got after me and said, Pastor, you need to be a fruit inspector. And I laughed at him. Be a fruit inspector. I could go to the store and pick up a watermelon and say, this is a good watermelon, and then you cut it open, and it's terrible on the inside. And I got a better chance of picking a good watermelon than I do if someone's a good person on the inside. You do not know. And you say, well, you'll see it. I do believe you'll see it. And we've talked about what's on the inside will come out. But as we think about it, and we think about a Christian's agony, and we see this here, we are afflicted by the sin we commit. And that we see others commit. As a Christian, it, it's amazing. Sin bothers us. Not like it used before it didn't matter. Before salvation, it didn't matter. But as a Christian, you sin. And be very careful in your life when sin doesn't bother you. That's when something's not right between you and God. Our sin should bother us. It nailed our Savior to a cross. And when we think about sin, and as we think about, and as we look at these verses, and as we think about them, life is so much better with the Spirit of God in us. But can you imagine what, I can't even fathom how wonderful it's going to be to put off this wickedness that's in me. This, this old man that still dwells with me. He's still there. As long as I live on this earth, this old man is still going to be in there. And that old man struggles with the new man. I'm going to be glad when the day when the old man is gone. How many of you are going to be grateful? I'm going to be grateful for that day. Because a lot of times you think about it, still sometimes our first nature, something goes on, and our first nature is to sin. It's like, no, I've been a Christian for 30 years. It should be the other way around. I should be to the point to where I do what's right. That should be what pops in my head. But then it's the opposite. And I can't wait for the day that it's not that way. And that's what we go through today. Because you realize, Christian, being saved, you're no longer under the bondage of sin. Yeah, we still sin. This world really doesn't have a choice. They're in bondage to it. They're tied to it. There's nothing they can do. We are freed from it. And we still struggle with it. And that's what Paul is talking about. This is the agony that takes... Oh, again. The Christian's agony. Letter B, we see the Christian's anticipation... We see in verse 24 and 25, Paul says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. 
Hope in the Bible has a vastly different meaning than what we think of hope today. When people use the word hope today, it's almost like they're saying, I wish or I want. I'm hoping for a good dinner tonight. Hey, I got to tell you guys something. I knew this was going to come. This is the perfect spot. It just had to come out. My mother-in-law, she is the sweetest lady in all the world. Picked her up at the airport on uh, Friday. We get to the car. And we were supposed to go there, you know, for the wedding. And she had a plan. One of the th- 13 children, you know, one thing that they did for their children on their birthdays always, they had a birthday supper. Mom made them their favorite meal, and it was a special thing. And Caroline's mom had all planned that when we came, it was right around Caroline's birthday, she was going to make Caroline her birthday supper. And Caroline told her, I th- roast and a seven-layer salad, and a seven-layer salad. I got a new name for it. I call it the Pharisee salad. Because the top of it has cheese and bacon on top makes it look really good. But when mayonnaise is your dressing on it, yeah, it's, 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 it's hiding things. The inside's corrupt. The outside looks good. So it's the Pharisee salad. That's the new name for it right there. We get to the, we, I get her at the airport. We're getting into the car. She's like, I got to check my bag real quick. Check your bag. Okay. She froze the roast and brought it all the way from Minnesota. And we had it for lunch today. That was, most people would just go buy a new roast at a store out here, you know? But she went and got a special roast there and had a special meal plan for her daughter and didn't get to do it there and did it today. And it was really good. The roast was really good. It's crazy. I don't know what the airport people thought when they're scanning the bag. <laughs> and there's a f- frozen piece of meat sitting right there in the bag. I, <laughs> I don't know. And it was still partially frozen last night when she put it into the, into the pan in the um, crock pot. Go figure. But not many people would bring a roast all the way from Minnesota. And uh, it was it was good. But that was I never experienced. Got to check your ba- frozen. R- you watch. One of these days they're going to say at the airport, no more frozen meat in your bags when you travel places. If anyone ever says that, Teresa Oz the one to thank for that one right there. I don't even know how I got off on that. But we hope, 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 hope. But this world's definition of hope, I want, I wish, I hope for a new car. I hope for this. I hope for that. When the Bible uses the word hope, the word hope, it means an assurance based on a conviction. So instead of hoping, instead of hoping a fond wish or desire, biblical hope is a deep, settled knowledge grounded in God's promises. That is the hope, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith, and think about this, we're saved by faith in the promise of God that tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a conviction that salvation comes through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the sure knowledge that one day the Lord will come for us and that he'll take us to heaven. That's what hope is based on. 
is not a fond dream or a wish. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. My hope is built and it's a conviction based on the promises found in this book. And so as we talk about that, and as we think about that tonight, I want you to understand something tonight. We will be made like him someday. And praise God for that. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, there are several verses, how this moral will put on incorruption. We have 1 John chapter number 3, verse 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's the hope we have. That, and it's a conviction based on a promise from the book. Praise God for that. Creation groans. Christians groan. John O'Donnell sent me a hilarious text today. I don't have my phone, so I can't share it. My phone's somewhere in my office. But it was a, fa- a son looking at, a, a, son looking at a, da- a father and saying something to the thing of, Dad, why does the pa- what does it mean when the pastor keeps looking at his watch? And the father responded to his son, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Isn't that pretty close? That's pretty close to what it said. And so I was looking at my watch just a minute ago, and that popped right in my head. What does that, it does mean something. I know there's 10 minutes till 7 when I'm supposed to be done. That doesn't mean for sure we're going to be done at 7, but it means I know that it's coming up on 7. We used to have a clock in the back of the room, but they're over and over again during the service. So why did I take the clock down? Now you just look, I know, you, I know some of you just look at your watch anyways or your phone or whatever the case may be. I come to church to stay in. Some of you come in to get out as fast as you can. We're almost done. Let's finish up tonight. If you want to distract me or send me things like that that I remember right now, we could have been done 10 seconds faster. Number three, we see that creation groans. We see the Christian groans. Number three, we see the spirit groans. Man, I could have been been illiterate there and put the comforter groans. That would have worked there, but that shows I wasn't thinking that far ahead. We see in verse 26 and 27, I love these verses right here. I had, someone in our, I, have, I had someone in our church the other day text me in the morning, having a tough morning. Like, Pastor, I, I need something right now from God, but I don't even know what to pray. I said, I'm glad. My text back was, I'm glad when I don't know what to pray. He knows what I need. Look at verse 26 and 27 as we finish up tonight. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, you've got to make sure you understand something. It's not us making those groanings. I've heard many Christians start uttering and muttering things out of their mouth and say they're just uttering what the Spirit told No, the Spirit says things to the Father. He doesn't use us to bark like a dog or be on the ground and become all Pentecostal. That's not what this is talking about. Verse 27, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. When we look at this, let's tie this together and bring it to a close tonight. We see under the Spirit groans, we see letter A, that the Spirit, He sustains us. The Holy Spirit, He comes alongside our comforter. And the Bible says right at the beginning of the verse, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. He comes alongside as we travel this life in this harsh world to take hold of our burdens and to help us carry on. You think about in the New Testament, one of my favorite people in the New Testament is Barnabas. Man, I'm so thankful that Barnabas came alongside Paul. We pro- I don't think the Apostle Paul would have been who he was without Barnabas. Barnabas came, the disciples, like, we're going to trust you. And I would have probably been just like the disciples in that situation. But what does Barnabas do? He comes alongside Paul. He encourages him and helps him along the way, just like the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus says, I'm, it's important that I leave and I'll send you the comforter. He will be there, Paraclete. He'll be there to help get you through. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit sustains us. And when we look at that, the believer, you think about this, every day, what, why does the Spirit need to help us? Because we live in these wicked, sinful bodies. We still have this flesh. The Spirit helps us with our infirmities. The Spirit says, hey, Brian, I know your old man wants to do this, but I'm, I can help you. I can guide you to do what's right. I'll help you along the journey to get where we're headed. That's the down payment that the Lord gave us in the Holy Spirit. He sustains us. And He helps us. He gets us through. He sustains, as it says there, He helpeth our infirmities. Then letter B. We see the Spirit speaks for us. To illustrate how the Spirit helps our infirmities, Paul goes to the area of prayer. Because of our sins, and at times our desire for evil things, we're not able to pray. Sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes in our own we pray selfishly. How many of you could admit there are times you pray selfishly? I can't admit that tonight. What should we be praying for every single time? His, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our desire, correct? His will should be our desire, not Brian's will. And sometimes I'll look and, man, Brian's will sounds pretty good on something. But we should be desiring God's will. So as we look at this, you got to understand, Brian's will at times is different than what God's will is. And because of this flesh that I have, I don't always pray for what I need to be praying for. But the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, who knows the will of God, and he knows what is inside of our redeemed spirit, 
he will take our prayers, often our misguided prayers, our prayers that need a little bit of work and a little bit of help, he straightens them out and tells God what exactly I need. That is such a comfort to me. Brian's prayer might be, Lord, I need a million dollars. It would solve all my problems today. I need a million dollars. The Spirit, Brian, you don't need a million dollars. Are you kidding me? God, this is what Brian really needs. You should be thankful that the Spirit's there to tell God what you really need. Because He knows. He knows God's will. He knows us. He is the perfect spokesman for you and me. And he does that. He speaks for us. This is such a big blessing. Who knows the perfect will of God in every matter? Do you? Do I? No. Does the Spirit? Yes. Who among us knows how to pray right about everything you pray for? Anybody in the room? None of us. The Spirit does. Who knows the mind of God better than the Holy Spirit? None of us. The Holy Spirit knows those things because He is God. Therefore, He's able to translate our prayers out of the flawed prayers that they may be. And He goes to the Father and says, This is what Brian meant. This is what Brian needs to be in accordance with your will. That's why sometimes you get an answer to prayer and you're like, that's not what I prayed for. God's not what you prayed for. It's what the Spirit told God you needed. And the Spirit knows what you need. That's a blessing. What a thought. We look tonight and we see the fact this life is not easy. Creation groans. It sighs. Travails because of sin. The Christian groans because of the sin that is present with us. But then God gives us a spirit. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you with your infirmities. I'm going to get you through this life. It'll all be okay. I know what you need. I'll tell the Father what you need. It'll all be okay.